I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. Accepted the, the podcast. podcast, and I'm not Theo, and I'm not Juliet yet. And the burning question on everyone's minds this week is, what's shaking bacon? I wish I could tell you <laughs> anything had happened that was cool or it's like zero, totally zero. <laughs> you but, sound like um, me this week. Pardon? You sound like me this week. I I'm uh, usually the one saying I'm not doing anything. It's I made bread on Friday. In That's the exciting. middle of my work day, I Very good. took little breaks to make bread. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, let's see. That's it. So yippee, hooray for me. No, um, I did, however, resolve an issue that everybody must face in their life. And uh-huh. I resolved it for me. I didn't resolve it for everybody else. Oh, too right? bad. And no one's allowed to steal this idea. <laughs> so I was talking to a friend about burial plots through a long, complicated story, which I shared with you pre-show. It's a secret, everybody. You can't know. Um, and the question kind of came up, like, what do you want to do with your remains when you after you die? Where do you want to be buried? Where do you want to be sprinkled? How do you want blah, 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 blah. Right. And, like, I've got some answers and, and whatever. I didn't, I haven't, I mean, I've thought about it, but I haven't really thought about it. Because the burial's not for me. I will be dead. The burial will be for the people who are around me. And yippee. So last night when I was talking with James, it came up and, and he said, oh, um, you probably want to be turned into a statue and handed out like a Pulitzer Prize. And that's exactly <laughs> what I want now. I want my ashes to be, uh, well, yes, here's, here's how it will go, right? My ashes will be mixed in with molten gold. Lots of it. Wow. And then these little statues will be made. Yeah. And this is for other people to worry about. How does it happen? How it gets done. How it gets paid for. Yeah, sure. And who is noble enough to receive a Theo? Right. (laughs) That's the name of the prize and the statue and everything. And once a year, just like the Pulitzer Prize, one person on the planet is awarded the Theo. Wow. And for what achievement? I mean, outside of like being pretty... And uh-huh. humble uh-huh. and smart right. and nice right. and I can't and pretty again. If I haven't said yeah. that twice, it's sure. very important the pretty part be there. Sure. So whoever that lucky recipient is will get a Theo, right? Wow. And there should just be like I think a million statues printed out so that way <laughs> so it for goes on one forever. a year for a million years. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Problem fucking solved. Love I'm it. I'm happy, right? So that's what I'm doing for the world with my life. And future Theo recipients, you are welcome. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, that's how little I had going on in my life this week. Like, my watermelon grew a foot. My watermelon vine grew foot? one foot. Yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah, like in a week and a half. And so uh, that's awesome. it grew a lot. It's going to really take over the backyard, I think. 
Yeah, probably. And I can't wait. I really. <laughs> I hope you get to eat some of those watermelons because that's going to be awesome. You know, the possum's going to come and eat them before uh, I ever probably. get to them. Yeah. yeah, all sorts of wildlife. But that's all that's shaken over here for bacon this week. What is shaken bacon? Well, I'm going to New York in June. Um, I have originally been planning to go to New York in October uh, with my husband to see. Um, why are we going? I can't remember now why we're going. For the hell of it, I guess. Just to go. We're going to go to the Museum of Modern Art and a bunch of museums. But I, I think it was just going to be a museum trip. So um, so I'm still going in October with my husband. Um, but I'm now also going in June with my cousin to see an exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum. And there's one thing I can say about this week's episode. And it's that it brought me to... To, to know about this exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum because somehow in all my linking and reading around and surfing the net for Tom Sachs information, I found out about this exhibit and now I'm going to go see it. So I'm totally excited. It is um, an exhibit for the 50th anniversary of Picasso's death, which is this year. And it's curated by Hannah Gadsby, who you may not know her. She's a comedian. And oh, I've seen her I live. know Hannah. You've seen yeah. her live? Yeah, she was really good. I love uh, her. She's got a new special out on Netflix. Does she? I'm going to have to watch it. So, yeah, so she curated this exhibit because she, in one of her recent, um, in her Nanette show, she talked about Picasso. And so one of the curators at the Brooklyn Museum invited her to come and, and, and curate a, an exhibit for the 50th anniversary of Picasso's death. So I think it's going to be fascinating. And we're also going to see another exhibit at the Guggenheim um, which is more of a straight Picasso exhibit for the um, anniversary of his death. So I think it'll be an interesting... I'm only going to be there for like a day because I'm going on Friday and coming back on Monday. But um, on Saturday, Heather and I are going to go see the exhibit and, and uh, have dinner, and that's probably about all we'll have time to do. But I think it'll Ooh, be fun. It sounds so great. I've already gone on that trip in my mind, and I had a fantastic <laughs> time, and I know you will too. <laughs> So that's my that's my bacon for this week. That's what I'm going to be doing. I haven't done much as a you know recently or this week. Uh, I did go to the UPS store, which was very exciting, to return some Amazon stuff that I bought that didn't fit. And I went to pick up my dog's medicine at the vet, and that's really all I've done this week. So there you go. Going to the UPS store takes a lot. That is a major amount of time and effort. So that's a whole week's worth of energy right there. I was proud of myself. I would be, I am proud of you. Thank you. So our story today, as I mentioned, is about Tom Sachs, who is a real fucking piece of work. Um, he is, so I have a particular animosity towards artists who uh, maybe, so I've heard them called recently in the in the course of researching this article or this uh, this podcast episode, um, I've heard these people called startists. So somebody Ooh, like- fun. Yeah, somebody like um, Jeff Koons, maybe, or even maybe Andy Warhol. I suppose you could call a startist. Great so, uh, example. Yeah, but the, I think I think the real definition of it is somebody who's more of a star than an artist. And Tom Sachs totally fits into that category, in my opinion. Um, I have never heard of him. Tom Sachs? Yeah, never heard of him. Not, not <laughs> I, until I had never heard him. of him before I heard that he had done this apology, and I thought, well, that could be interesting. And then I started researching him, and I went down like a six-hour rabbit hole researching, reading his reading articles about him and about what he does and all the stuff we'll talk about in, in this episode. So I have a ton of information. It might be a slightly longer podcast episode than usual. I apologize if it is, and you guys have places to go, but you can always pause well, no. and come back. <laughs> Or you just put your AirPods in and go do the things you need to do. Uh, that's true, too. Yeah. 
Put your headphones on like me so nobody will talk to you because you look unapproachable. So Tom Sachs is a contemporary startist from New York whose first public work in 1994. Okay, so to set the scene for this public work, um, he had, uh, he went to a bunch of, he was, he came from a rich family. He went to a bunch of really um, rich, ritzy schools. And I forget where he went to college, but um, he went somewhere. And, and after that, he did a bunch of little jobs like here and there. And one of the jobs he did was as a um, Barney's window dresser. So I think Ooh, he actually fine. was... I think he actually was start. He started out on the technical side by building structures to put in the windows, and I and somehow he got invited to create a, an exhibit or a window uh, scene for the Barney's window, and uh, it was Christmas time. So the scene that he put together was a scene in which Hello Kitty was played by was Jesus was played by Hello Kitty, and all the wise men were played by Bart Simpson figures. Um, the the Holy Mary, whatever, was uh, also played by Hello Kitty in a Chanel lingerie outfit. And if you are uh, on the Zoom call, which Theo is, you can see behind me the um, the very a, a picture. I think this is a recreation of the uh, the very exhibit itself, which is hideously ugly, in my opinion. But that's well, why he's a star artist. Go ahead. Don't I mean? Don't love the exhibit. It is interesting that like, oh, look, it's Bart Simpson with Hello Kitty. What are we saying about pop culture and blah, 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 right? And that's the kind of bullshit you can get away with in New York. This wouldn't fly anywhere outside of intellectual, air quotes around, um, circle. It's funny you should say that because, well, first I want to note that you can't see it in the picture, but instead of a star over the manger, there is a McDonald's logo. So anyway, um, yes, consumer culture absolutely is being discussed in this um, or alluded to. I don't want to say criticized because we'll we'll get there. Right. But the thing about it is that third graders could have put this together. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I I say that, you know, I think I I often think that about art, like I could have done that. And then, of course, the response is, but you didn't. So uh, true, I didn't. And I'm kind of proud that I didn't. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I did because I knew it was stupid. <laughs> so um, the Catholic organizations were understandably infuriated and the window was taken down and the CEO or whatever took Are you blame. fucking kidding? No, it's true. It's true. Um, and Sachs' interest in consumerism and branding continued. He did things like he took representations of contemporary objects like guns and hand grenades and wrapped them in high fashion packaging like from Hermes or Tiffany. He also created items like a McDonald's Happy Meal covered in the Prada logo, a Chanel guillotine, and a Prada toilet. And this all sounds very interesting, but if you if you look at these things, they're they're just well the the Happy Meal and the Prada logo was actually pretty pretty well done, I thought. But the Chanel guillotine was just like somebody cobbled together a guillotine and wrote Chanel on it. So I wasn't all that impressed with that. Um, and a Prada toilet, I mean, don't even ask me about that one. Tell me about the Prada so, toilet. What is it? No, no. I'm totally <laughs> A gallery owner was arrested in 1999 when she hosted one of Sachs' works, which was an Alvar Alto vase containing live ammunition, which customers were invited to take. So he's not very smart. Um, yeah. The, we'll the look on my face, now. which no one can see, it's perfect for radio. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Nope. Oh, right. That's great. I mean, why not have a baby? I guess it's not legal, and that's why the gallery owner was arrested. I mean, I'm just going to say dumb. Dumb, 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 dumb. Totally. You're lucky nobody used one of those bullets to murder somebody else. Yeah, yeah. 
wonder if it got as far as people actually taking the ammunition. So anyway, around this time, um, Sachs developed an interest which was uh, along, uh, still continues a long abiding interest in the space program. And his exhibit called Sony Outsider in 1998 opened at Site Santa Fe in New Mexico. This was a sculpture that was um, on the outside of a full-scale model of the atomic bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki. And inside was a capsule, hotel, capsule hotel-like room upholstered Sony-style in white leather. On Saturdays, it was supposed to be inhabited by a young Asian woman, or as the artist statement said, a teenage Japanese sex kitten. I this, raised eyebrows. Do not even... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, um, this was a branching out in Sachs production methods from handmade art into outsourced fabrication. So he had it um, made by others uh, in a factory, I guess. He called it a huge failure himself because of its expense, but also because critics noted that it looked and was machine made. So as a result of this criticism, Sachs moved into the creation of bricolage, which according to Sachs, uh, a bricoleur is one who hobbles together functional contraptions out of already given or collected materials, which he retools and resignifies into new objects with novel uses. This was a way for Sachs to make his work more identifiable as his own rather than mere copies of existing items. He commented at the time, and this is interesting for some things we'll be talking about in a, in a few minutes, um, he said, we have our system of making things out of certain materials and of showing the scars of our labor and the history of our efforts. We have your way, my way, and the right way. And I must insist everything is done my way, even if it takes longer. So that might give you an idea of, a little bit of an idea of the character of this man. But we'll, we'll, we'll flesh that out a little bit as we go. Okay, because so far, the, all right, that me too. I'm that way sometimes. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. Do things my way. That vase goes right there on that spot on that table and nowhere else. And that's where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Me too. I I, I admit. Um, in a twenty-two, t- sorry, two thousand two collaboration with the Jewish Museum, Sachs, who is Jewish, made a pop-up concentration camp out of a Prada hat box, telling the New York Times Magazine that fashion was similar to fascism because it was about the quote loss of identity. So he's not very <laughs> smart. They both start with F. They, they sound similar. Yeah. Um, he's not very smart, in my opinion. Uh, I did not see a... I meant to look up a, a picture of that concentration camp out of the Prada hat box. But one, I didn't want to see it, really. And two, um, I didn't want to see it. So <laughs> I didn't look it up. Then in 2007, uh, continuation of his interest in the space program, he built a, a one-to-one model of the Apollo Lunar Module, um, also a mission control with 29 closed-circuit video monitors, and he put two female astronauts in handmade Tyvek spacesuits. The Lunar Excursion Model was built full-scale, but had many modifications, including a fully-stocked bar and a library. And they actually, I believe, they actually sort of played out the, the lunar landing and uh-huh. after their first step, they used his handmade shotguns, which actually worked, to, quote, patrol the surface before planting a flag and taking rock samples by drilling into the gallery floor. He continues work on Space Program 2.0 Mars, which is currently exhibited in Germany. He, I mean, um, that's a lot of work. It, it is a lot of work. He, he has been making these, like, sort of, not fake guns, but real guns that work. He's been making them for a long time. Like, when he was younger, he, he and his, um, I guess, students or whatever would make a bunch of fake guns and take them to the New York, the gun turn-in, 
you know, what are they uh-huh. those things? Oh, what, collection. You, yeah, we get money yeah, for your guns. Take the guns, money for your guns, and, and get like $300 for these things that they had made. So that's um, kind of considered that art or just questionable bullshit to get money. Um, in 2008 and 2009, uh, Sachs' bronze collection was shown in Aspen, Colorado, and at the Trocadero in Paris. This collection featured large white bronze casts of foam core Hello Kitty and Miffy foam core sculptures, unpainted casts of battery towers, a skateboarding half pipe, and the Corbusier's lamps were also shown. So here he is again, um, making recreations of things that already exist. Um, and I presume that the, the bricolage makes it his own, although I have not seen, again, I have not seen these exhibits to see how um, identifiably Saks they are. I have my doubts. Um, and now we get into a little bit more about how he treats people and his own character. Uh, in a 2010 film used for training prospective workers in his studio, and that was also required um, viewing for people who visited the studio, including uh, journalists, his workers were trained to adhere to a strict set of codes or systems. In the film, Sachs compares himself to the tyrannical Sergeant Hartman from Full Metal Jacket, narrating how Hartman teaches his lieutenants to adhere to the system of production already in place over a clip of the movie. He said, arbitrary decision-making and personal inventiveness are discouraged. And these are, this is pointed at people who are going to work for him. So he's saying, don't, don't make decisions and don't be inventive. Don't, you're, you're working in the art field, but don't be creative. Uh, in a follow-up video, he even displays his temper by throwing a typewriter through a wall into a room where it hits someone. Detailed manuals are also provided to new hires, which cont- contain a poem including the line, Happiness lies in reading Tom's moods. Sachs said in an interview with GQ that, quote, This place is a cult, and I mean that in the scariest, most Manson family kind of way, in that we're totally committed to this way of life. So he hands out these studio manuals to his staff upon employment, um, and they include guidelines such as avoiding things that make Tom mad, or how to pay a, pay a fine to a shrine called Leatherface, which is modeled after the serial killer from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, if they make any mistakes. That's kind of amusing, but kind of weird. I and mean, this, yeah. it's, we've created a world that's all about us, and it's everything us, right? And yeah. on one hand, I get you work for me, I'm yeah. the artist, my art does not need your artistic improvements. So it puts the lotion in the basket. That's mm-hmm. your job. You just, mm-hmm. you do what you're told and that's it. I, I get right. that, right? right? There are different ways to communicate that message where it might be nicer, but yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I, I suppose it's, it's not unreasonable to expect that if you're an artist hiring people to work on your art, you want it done the way you want it done because yeah. it's your art. But yes, um, making that, videos and manuals and that's where it things. starts to get extreme. Right. I, I love that, that we'll people had to video. watch the video Yeah. to like come visit the studio. Yeah, Hi Tom, to, I'd love to meet with you Monday. Oh great. Please watch this video first. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, this was like in 2000 something. And I don't know if, did, did we have YouTube in 2000 something? I guess we did. Probably. So they didn't have to get scented or they didn't have to sit there. I'm just imagining like a journalist coming to interview him and saying, here, sit down in front of this VCR and watch this video that I made um, before I'll talk to you. So uh, uh, yeah. let's see. So he has described himself in the past as proudly Jewish. 
Uh, at the same time, he had a first aid kit in the studio's kitchen that was deliberately manipulated to resemble a swastika in what he called an attempt to subvert and reclaim this painful part of Jewish history. Oh, However, please. He, right? However, he frequently called his office the Eagle's Nest, which referred to Hitler's Kelstein house. So he's questionable. Um, and women also had kind of a hard time with Tom Sachs, or have kind of a hard time with Tom Sachs. Several women who previously worked at the studio reported that he openly spoke about the porn he watched and the type of women that he's into, even attending Zoom meetings with Nike in just his underwear. And I read that one of the women that was working on that Nike um, collaboration asked to be taken off of it because of that, because of the time that he was in the Zoom meeting with his, with his, in, in his underwear. In his underwear? Yes. Uh, employees have also described being required to go through pictures on Sachs' computers, which include nude photos of himself and his wife, Sarah Hoover. And there was vintage porn on the studio walls, and the storage room in the basement was called the Rape Room until Sachs changed it to the Consent Room in 2016. And all I have to say to that is, fuck you, Tom Sachs. I mean, I, I'll say this, right? We've both worked retail. Um, yeah. And... And in retail, your little group of coworkers, you have your inside jokes and, you, yeah. you know, it's not so much that you become a cult or whatever, but you, right. there's a group cohesion thing happening, right? Yeah. And so I do get calling different rooms different things, and sure. I can even see where I might have not... I probably would have called a basement something like that, right? Really? The, the murder house or, or the rape room, right? Um, maybe. So, but it is in poor taste. I get that the one article that I read to prepare for this, I, I get that that was, he opened a studio in a really challenging part of New York. And I want to yeah. say it was Soho in the 90s, but I'm not sure which area now. And that um, it was just such a, a crime-ridden area and the basement was dark and scary i i don't think rape room would probably have been the first thing that came to mind for me no the dungeon or whatever maybe yeah. um so poor choice of words but i do, i do get that environment and i do get that kind of mindset so uh but you know the thing is it's not just the one thing right, right it's all right. of the one things combined exactly exactly it's the context of the thing um yeah, and so it's funny that you mentioned the sort of group cohesiveness that comes when you work together. He seems to have taken it to somewhat of an extreme. Um, one studio assistant remembers traveling with him to an exhibition overseas where in front of a group of gallerists, he said to her, this is a cult. If you want to leave, we don't want you. There's a million of you. And once after he was annoyed on a Zoom call, he yelled, I don't care if she dies. There's a million of her and only one of me. I mean, somebody's just been believing too much of his own press yeah you know yeah i mean and and what has he done i mean what has he done that's so great i, I don't see it well apparently least, nike saw it because they're in well, collaboration with him not right? anymore oh okay that's we'll news to, to that. me yeah. Um, in 2013, he exhibited a piece called Barbie Slave Ship at the Biennial de Lyon, laying naked white Barbies in a model slave ship with pink flags. So there's so many ways that that is a bad idea. Um, I won't go into any of them, but you just take my word for it if you don't already know. That is a bad idea. And I think that piece is still out there somewhere. Um, 
2017, he worked with Nike, as you as you ref- as you implied. Uh, he uh-huh. worked with Nike to release the Mars Yard sneaker, which was very popular. Um, at the last minute before launch, though, Nike had to remove from the box the phrase "work like a slave." Uh, he uh, had several Nike shoe releases, including one called General Purpose, I think. I think I get into this more a little bit later. Um, but they they had all been quite popular, and I think some of them are now, like the original Mars Yard sneaker, you can get for like between ten dollars and $40,000. What? So they're collectible now. Why? You got me, man. I don't understand the whole sneaker world. Uh, me either, uh, but 40000 even 10000 a thousand for sneakers is too many, too many monies. Too That's many English. Monies. Yeah, too many monies. <laughs> yeah, I think two hundred for sneakers is too many monies. But even if it is, you know, Tom Sachs. Wow. Uh, so in two thousand twenty-three, uh, writer and curator Emily Colucci wrote a post on her website, Filthy Dreams, titled "I Found It: The Worst Art Job Listing Ever Created." The article outlined a job posting in which a high-profile art world family sought a full-time executive and personal assistant dedicated to a simple goal, make life easier for the couple in every way possible. I wish I had one of those. The job required the candidate to be on call outside of normal working hours and laid out a long list of ridiculous tasks, including picking up clothing from high-end stores, serving as the point person for the couple's fleet of household staff, and managing, quote, dog systems and, quote, closet systems. On February 26th, the New York Times picked up the story and things spiraled from there. Commenters on Filthy Dreams speculated the employers were Sachs and his wife, a socialite, and former Gagosian gallery director Sarah Hoover, a hypothesis later also reported to Artnet. Former employee Christie said, The people who did the more low-level assistant jobs were constantly asked to do stuff for Sarah, his wife. They were technically supposed to be studio employees, but to work their way up the ladder, they had to do all these Sarah Hoover tasks. Sarah Hoover is a feminist who has publicly condemned the ethics of the art world for pretending to have progressive values while in reality reinforcing patriarchal structures and wealth inequality. She has written articles about the difficulties of motherhood, having suffered from postpartum depression. A book seems to be in the works, or has seemed to be in the works for some time now, about, according to her website, her experience with pregnancy, motherhood, the art world, and the oppressive aspects of patriarchy. Sarah Hoover has taught a course on art and feminism at Barnard called Art History of the Exploited Feminist Self. She has nannies, a housekeeper, and a private chef, along with possibly the previously mentioned assistant. I could talk about her for a while, too, but... (laughs) I mean, I'm jealous, okay? Uh, Yeah, yeah. I want to be a wealthy socialite who gets to talk about how hard life is. yeah. 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 And she, her Instagram is her at all these parties wearing all these amazing dresses and with being with all these famous people. And it's really, it's really something. Um, it's, it's something, something to see. So for her, it is interesting for her to participate in that world at the same time as she is uh, basically oppressing other people who work for her husband. So. Uh, the fact that she doesn't recognize that is really interesting. Or she doesn't care. She recognizes it, but she benefits from it. And so, great. But why be a feminist then? Why say you're a feminist if that's what you're going to do? I, uh... I, I don't think that... Maybe she thinks feminism has something in it for her. I mean, I suppose it does. And, you know, if you can be blind to the contradictions in your life, there are some ways you can get more by trying to be a feminist. 
Oh, I mean, for sure. Cognitive dissonance, you know, like my ears yeah. are ringing from all the, I don't even know what to say, right? Yeah, um, exactly. So, but I mean, people are hypocrites. People are hypocrites and Clearly. turn a blind eye and yes. things are working for me and down with the man, but not too far down with the man because it's getting some benefits here. And not me, not down with me. No, with I'm great. Man. I'm totally great. <laughs> I care so much about everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, in 2023, so this year, Curb reported on sex misbehavior, sexism, bullying, and fostering a toxic workplace. Shortly after that report, Artnet spoke to former and present sex employees who said that the artist pressured them to perform dehumanizing personal tasks for him and his wife, Sarah Hoover. Sex required studio workers to observe bizarre rules, such as walking quietly, placing items at parallel and 90-degree angles, and adhering to a strict dietary and exercise routine, which involved group workouts while wearing uniforms. He treated the men so much differently. What did you say? Something? Oh no, I was going to say like the walking quietly. Okay, fine. I yeah. maybe you live under the studio or what your sensitive noise or whatever. Um, putting things at right angles and parallel. Okay, get, getting a little bit much there, but adhering to a strict diet. Yeah. Um, hi, no, yeah. thanks. I yeah. for twelve bucks an hour or fifteen right. bucks an hour. No, no, you go fuck yourself real hard. And they have to show up at the at the routine at the um, at the studio at like seven a.m. three times a week to do this exercise routine. All of them together wearing the same uniform, which is bizarre. It's it's very, uh, I'll say, Japanese corporate culture. Um, yeah. You know, we're we work together, but also yeah. we are a unit, and as a unit, we function outside of the work hours together right so we right. get together and we do exercises together and then we go drinking in the evening like you you live your your work and that's yeah. that's what he's doing um it's and true. i'll say he sounds like a real dick so far um but don't take these jobs everybody well if you're if you're a kid basically they're all young if you're a kid sure. looking for a job in the art world a it's hard to find yeah um b you, you let's just say you think sax is really talented so you want to work for this guy. You may not be aware that it's going to turn out like this. Um, it may only dawn on you after a few days. Um, and you may you may not have an opportunity to work for someone else who you think is as, as talented as Sachs. So I'm not saying, you know, that that's a good reason to keep the job. But I can see why people would want to keep a job under those circumstances. I totally see why people would take this sort of a job, even knowing all of this, right? Mm -hmm. You'll mm -hmm. make connections. You'll meet people right. through him that you wouldn't ordinarily have an opportunity to meet. Maybe someone, maybe one of those connections is going to look at you and be like, you're a star, right? right. And make you the famous, exactly. wonderful person that you were always born to be. Sure. Um, great. And that system also exists in Hollywood and yes. it exists in the fashion world. Um, and it exists in publishing, and it probably exists, I don't know, name, I'll bet you, name Everywhere. the, I was going to say, name the dumbest thing, and then I was like, horse breeding, but um, that's not oh, necessarily does. the dumbest thing, right? Um, yeah. But, like, it does it exist in retail? Maybe. Maybe. Right. If you uh, wanted to work for a high-end high fashion place, probably does. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I guess so. I'm starting off at McDonald's, but I am going to get that job at Victoria's Secret, and then I am going to end up in the house of Gucci. Right. Bringing that registered, making that change. Yeah. Getting that employee discount. <laughs> well. Yeah. Let's not go crazy. <laughs> 
So, uh, let's see, who a past employee told Hyperallergic that uh, Sachs treated the men so much differently. The men had the potential to be his protégés. He didn't view the women that way. And Curb described a system of favoritism in which Sachs gave his preferred employees expensive gifts and uh, free things to the ones that weren't so preferred and constantly reminded his workers that they were replaceable. So huh. Nike's gotten wind of all this and seems to be distancing themselves from Sachs, recently saying that they were not currently working with the artist or his studio, despite earlier reports of new Mars Yard 3.0 sneakers and new colorways of the popular general purpose shoe that were supposed to come out sometime this year. Past workers told Hyperallergic about how difficult it was to quit. It is like a true cult in that they make it really hard to leave, they said, citing manipulation and threats. One former studio manager told Curb, it's almost as if he goes out of his way to sow discomfort and pawns it off as if he's a genius. It's like a ruse. So many people out there know that he's cruel, but the art world is tiny and no one gives a shit. Tom Sachs' studio has denied all negative reports. I'll say the problem when you earn a lot of money or you earn any money and recognition for something as forgettable as art and sorry, Da Vinci, right? Sorry, Van Gogh. <laughs> I, I know. Right. But like you, you will, that can be taken away from you in a hot yeah. second. The yeah. public mood shifts one millimeter to another direction and nobody remembers your sneakers, whatever. So I, I get the anxiety around that. Um, I can see the desperation around that as well. Uh, but I start to fall down at the, at the dickishness, but again, Hollywood, the art world press, people it, are the same everywhere. Yeah. They're going to treat you like shit when you, when they give, when they have an opportunity, <laughs> not at my company, not but, at your company, of right, course. but other companies, definitely. Yes. 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 So, um, that's what I've got. And I think that's all we've got, except should we move on to the apology? Let's move on to the apology. I, I knew nothing about Tom Sachs. You sent me a text and you were like, hey, this guy. And I was like, wow. Um, yeah, that does seem kind of problematic. But then kind of also, uh, not that I was on the fence, but then I was kind of on the fence because it was like, well, I can understand where he's coming from, mm -hmm. right? I'm insecure because of the art world. Things are fickle. Um uh, what I'm, what I've, I listened to one podcast from one ex employee who talked yep. about just how, you know, mean he was. And, but the stuff that she was saying, it was like, that doesn't, it doesn't sound that mean to me. Right. Um, it sounds very normalish for that world. If you're yeah. hired as somebody's personal assistant in Hollywood, they are going to shit on you all day long. You were going to have that job for one year and you're going to quit screaming because that's what happens to everybody. And they're never going to read your fucking script. They're never going to cast you in a movie. There'll be all these problems. It's never going to happen. Right. And you won't it's get a, a reference. Yeah. Yeah. And then that, and then you won't get a reference and they'll badmouth you all over town. Yeah, she yeah. ruined my leotards. Horrible. So, eh, but I know too, that people are drawn to those industries filled with hope and aspiration and, uh, and, but, um, yeah. It, but then the more that I hear about Tom Sachs, the more I'm just like, 
Oh, it kind of gets worse and worse and worse, and then it yeah. snowballs. It's a little bit of like, well, that's not so bad. Okay, that's expected. All right, that's that. Oh, wow, this is pretty nonstop with you. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very kind of it's the art world nexium. Yeah, yeah. So kind of. let let's hear. I'm sorry, you all don't understand me. Yeah, exactly. Let's hear. So after Nike announced that it would not move forward with his lucrative sneaker deal, the artist Tom Sachs apologized in a statement to the New York Times for his treatment of former staff members in his studio. And it was a handwritten note, uh, and it was titled Update. It said, These past few months have been a time of overdue reflection. It's been painful but vital. I deeply regret that anyone ever felt less than supported, safe, and fulfilled within my studio, but it's clear that some people did. As our business grew at a rapid pace and cultural norms progressed, We didn't take the necessary time to professionalize our operations. I wish I had prioritized this a decade ago. I am laser focused on it now. But to be clear, over my 30-year career, I have never harassed anyone or tried to make anyone feel uncomfortable. I am committed to building a studio culture that better aligns with the values that I explore and develop as an artist. My art and personal professional growth is my main focus. Tom Sachs. What do you I, think? Um, so, okay. All right. So it it does some work, and that's great, but it's too little too late for me. Yeah. Um, Tom, I don't. I still don't know who you are, so <laughs> good for you. Um, yeah, this only comes about because the world has pointed at him and said, you're bad, and you're not living up to the values that you profess and just taking one look at a photograph of him and his wife. It's very easy to see like, Oh, you are a New York art couple. You're rich. You live in your own world and you have no idea about reality at all. I got, I, yep. So, I mean, it's insincere. Eh, eh, eh. And this is one of those, I give it a two. Um, that's fair. It's, it only came about because the Nike deal fell through because he's, uh, see you next Tuesday. Um, and it, so it's disingenuous. Let's see what happens, Tom. Let, let's see what happens to your, your culture. Yeah. Let's see how, how it changes. Let's see what changes you make. So I looked at at this from the um, aspect of our criteria. Um, Was there an expression of regret? Yes, he says, I deeply regret. Okay, good. Good job, Tom. Uh, Was there an explanation of what went wrong? Well, sort of. He said, we didn't keep up with cultural norms, which is a cop-out. Right. The the culture changed. Right. We just didn't keep up. Yeah, bullshit. Um, Acknowledgement of responsibility, big old no. Declaration of repentance, no. Offer of repair, no. They didn't say they were going to do anything at all to help the people that they've harmed or change um, how they were going to change. And there was no request for forgiveness. So I actually give this a one out of 10. But he is really sorry. And that's the point, right? This has impacted him. You're not thinking about him and his needs and how sorry he is. So it should be a 10. I wonder if the people in his studio got yelled at. For this whole thing. Well, they signed NDAs now. Um, they can't, I know they can't talk about it. 
Yeah, openly. the woman that worked for him um, in 2008 to 2009, she mm-hmm. did not sign an NDA. She was interviewed oh. on some podcast that was called like um, Art World. And uh-huh. it definitely uh, is like from the art world. Right. And that probably doesn't make a lot of sense for listeners who don't think about the art world. But imagine um, the most boring PBS special you have ever seen in your life. And for our international listeners, imagine the most boring BBC, intellectually stuffy, I don't even know what to say. Right. And times that times 10. But it's only talking about. The intrinsic values that I, it just, I had such a hard time listening to it. Um, Regardless, the woman worked there for a year. That's the point of it. Not how much I hate art podcasts. Um, And she was like, all the things we just said, I took this job. I didn't know who he was, but I was an art history major and finding a job in the art world is really hard. And I was not told that I had to work 24 seven, but I would get a text message at two o'clock in the morning. And when I heard that, I was like, you know, that's okay. I get text messages at two, three in the morning. I turn my phone off. It's on, it's on silent. I'll get to that text message when I get to that. But I understand you feel compelled to answer that text message at two in the morning. Great. Um, and the interviewer near the end said, and I think this is a crucial question. He said, so did you quit or were you fired? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you know, were you fired, lady? Because maybe you have an axe to grind. Because, again, everything she said sounded like that's normal assistant stuff in this horrible world of the art world and or horrible world in Hollywood, right? Um, and she was, she said, I quit, and I didn't um, sign an NDA. And it's like, yeah, but also you, I'm, I'm not hearing a lot from you that sounds like, oh, my God, that's outrageous. Um it wasn't until I started reading the articles and and saw a little bit more. And for me, it's just the hypocrisy. Yeah. That, that's really what absolutely. it is. Absolutely. It's painful. Painful to see. And I'm curious to see. So she has a book coming out. I mentioned or Sarah Hoover has a book coming out about motherhood and how motherhood is hard on women. And, all that and sort a of TV thing, series is, based on the book. A, a TV series supposedly based on I, I've been reading. I've that's been in the works for years now, so I don't know whether any of that's ever actually going to come out. But she did write an article in Vogue, I think it was, about um, her experience being a mother and her postpartum depression. And it was really well written and it was, you know, very, I would have been completely taken in if I hadn't read all this other stuff about her. So um, I think she really has a, a blind spot for her own behavior. Uh, what are you going to do? I mean, I suppose any of us could be guilty of the same thing. So I'm oh, sure. I mean, we all are to yeah. greater and lesser degree, much lesser degrees. Right. Um, right. I, I get the point of sending an assistant over to um, let's use a really fancy Hermes, right. Uh-huh. To pick up your clothing that's on hold for you. And they've got $20,000 worth of, you know, it's two scarves from Hermes for 20,000. Right. And, and your assistant makes 26000 a year, right? Should your assistant be going to pick that up for you? Aren't they going to feel horrible? Right. Yes, they are, right? Um, but at the same time, I don't... 
Yeah, I was going to say, but at the same time, that's the job. It's just, it's just awful. Nobody should be in the art world at all. There should be no art. <laughs> there should be no art. <laughs> that solves that problem. All right. What's it done for Thanks, us? Thanks, Theo. <laughs> On that note. Oh, no. Do we have an apology expected or who's sorry now? I do not. I tried again. I'm having a really hard time coming up with these. I feel terrible. Uh, Let's see. I've got plenty because Ooh. let's, you know, this is like bad boss um, hypocrisy. Um I, uh, did I ever get in a, I worked in a bookstore when I was like in my early twenties, when I first moved to LA and it was called Dodds in Long Beach. And it is, uh, it has been closed for a very, very, very long time. And the manager of the store hired me and it was an independent bookstore. And I had only worked for chain retail bookstores, right? Very different worlds entirely different worlds crazy different um and after a while she hated me with a white hot passion because i was bored as fuck i just walked around the store and put books in order i was used to shelving carts of books a day right and here i might have to put five books away for the whole eight hour shift Wow. It was really just like stand around behind the cash register and wait for somebody to come up with a book and then sell yeah. them the book and yeah. not what I was used to at all. Um, and I'm sure that like, I probably didn't help things by, I don't know what I did, uh, but I did something to let people know this is boring and it's beneath me. Right. Um, anyway, so um, she hated me so much and I knew she wanted to fire me mm-hmm. and I was like, well, I've, I'm going to have to find another job, but I only want to work in a bookstore and I don't have a car. So I need a bookstore that's like off of a bus route and blah, 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 blah. Could I have gotten a job somewhere else? Maybe probably sure. Yeah, but whatever. I was stuck in my own, my own little um, art world, if you will. And so I woke up one morning and I felt terrible and I noticed I had, um, spots coming out all over me and so i called in and it was like i don't know 7 30 in the morning and she was at work she was always at work and i said hey um i can't come in today i i don't feel well and and i've got these spots coming out on me and she said something along the lines of I knew that you were a useless employee and awful. And of course you're sick. Have a good day. Right. And so I was really mad and I went um, down to the bookstore like 30 minutes later and I stood in front of her in the back room and I took my shirt off so that she could see the spots all over my body. Wow. Right. And while I was standing there, I broke out in fresh spots, right? Wow. And I said, I am down here to show you that I am actually sick. Wow. And this is not normal. I don't Mm -hmm. know what it is. I'm going to have to go to the doctor. Um, I don't think I had health insurance, right? Wow. Um, And so whatever for for all that drama, right? Um, And she said... You're right. I didn't think you were sick. And I was wrong. 
but I don't think you should work here anymore. And I was like, I don't work here anymore. That's why I'm down here to let you know that I am sick and I'm not going to work for somebody who doesn't believe me when I tell them something about me. Right. So then I went to the doctor and the doctor was like, oh, you've got chicken pox. And I was like, "Uh, I'm 21. How do I have chicken pox? And he was like, you just probably were never exposed as a child. I don't know what to tell you, but it's, it's chicken pox. And so then because I'm so caring, right? I was like, oh, fuck, I have chicken pox. They're highly contagious. I, mm-hmm. So I called down to the store to let the staff know, like, hey, I've got chicken pox. I don't work there anymore. But you guys, if you get sick, you'll have chicken pox. Yeah. And, um, and the manager answered the phone. And mm-hmm. so I said, hey, you know, listen, um, I've, I have seen, I've been to the free clinic. I saw the doctor. I have chicken pox. Mm-hmm. And she said, um, oh, no, that's terrible. That means everybody on staff will have chicken pox. And then I was like, no, everybody on staff probably had chicken pox when they were five or six. I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. It's highly unusual. And she was like, I can't believe you brought chicken pox into the store. And oh I was God. like, I probably caught them in your store, lady. Who do you yeah. think I'm hanging around with kids during the yeah. day when I'm yeah. in my private? No. <laughs> anyway, so I'm owed an apology. You are. Yes. I will never get it. And no. it's fine. Right. And and how sad that my my story is like, I wanted to work at a bookstore so bad that I put up with all kinds of bullshit to do that. And other people get to hold twenty thousand dollar Hermes shopping bags. Well, it's very on theme. So thank, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And so <laughs> that's all I got. That's a good story. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And we will now say goodbye to our our lovely listeners. Um, thank you all very much for listening this week, as always. And stay cool, cucumbers. And don't trip potato chips. And bye-bye, don't cry. I'm going to take that, <laughs> own it, and love it. <laughs> See you later. Bye, everyone. to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at ApologiesAccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted. And on Instagram at Apologies.Accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>